Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, uh, I'm not happy. Well, I'll put it this way, Bill. I my, my sporting weekend was saved solely by Baker Mayfield to Donovan Peoples-Jones with about 12 seconds left. So when the Browns are the bright spot in your in your weekend, then it's uh, something's gone terribly awry. Wait, the Browns are give, finally giving Donovan Peoples-Jones run? Or, oh, wait, or was that because uh, Odell got hurt? Uh, more likely the latter, but uh, he made a couple big plays down the stretch, and uh, this is not a Michigan podcast, but uh, good to see Mr. Jones uh, having a nice day. Yeah, I mean, it's wild how he never had an offensive coordinator when he was in college. Uh, neither here nor there, uh, because we are going to be talking about this Saturday's game, uh, the number eight ranked Penn State Nittany Lions went to Bloomington and uh, found a way to unload an entire clip into their foot. Uh, Indiana was able to come out on top of the controversial 36-35 overtime victory. Penn State outgained them by 277 yards, dominated the time of possessions, ran the ball incredibly well, uh, moved the ball through the air, although probably not as uh, effectively as we would have liked to see. And at the end of the day, turnovers, penalties ended up being the story. Uh, and as I will, t- as I-, I certainly think, and we'll get Matt's take on this a little bit later, uh, Indiana got some help by that game taking place in Bloomington and not taking place in Happy Valley. Uh, Matt, before we get into all that stuff, I want to start by talking about the first half of this football game. Penn State comes out on its first drive and could not have put together a better sequence of plays. 13 plays, 64 yards, able to cap things off with a fourth and goal. Uh, They had ran right into the line of scrimmage for the first three plays, and then on fourth and goal, they run the most predictable screen, uh, not screen pass, uh, predictable play-action pass to Pat Fryermuth that you will ever see. They score a touchdown, and then they just didn't score again for the entirety of the first half. So, I have to, I, I think we have to start with just some general thoughts on the first half before we get into what went wrong that when they went to the locker rooms for halftime, Indiana was up 17 to seven. It was, and I had to pull up the the drive chart here to kind of remind myself how things played out in the, you know, obviously we all remember the end of the first half with that comedy of, of errors going both directions. Um, but you know, they they had like you said the the impressive opening drive where they kind of methodically worked their way down the field, which really is the kind of thing we haven't seen a whole lot of, just based on the kind of offense that Joe Moore had ran and then Ricky Ronnie ran, where that was more of a big play offense. The the grinded out you know ten twelve fifteen play drive just weren't the kind of thing that you would see. And then they had the second drive was a quick three and out, and then the third drive they felt like they had something going until just the mind boggling first interception that Clifford threw on the screen pass where I don't know if we ever got a clear answer on exactly what went wrong there. I don't know if he lost, lost where Ford was or if he was trying to throw it away and failed egregiously or or something else. Um, But it felt like after that, they just never really um, 
it, they kind of were, you know, were shell shocked a little bit. Um, and then the next time they get the ball, that's another quick uh, four plays, but they punt after getting just nine yards. Um, and then uh, the Indiana touchdown that, that gives them the lead and then the ensuing kickoff where Lamont Wade muffs the, the kick the second interception, it just kind of felt like Matt. I had forgotten those... about that. Like so much happened in the game that I forgot that Lamont Wade uh, returned a kickoff to Penn State's five yard line. It, and it's just it, that whole sequence of what three or four drives there. It just kind of felt like they never really, they never got back to what worked really well in that first drive. Not just from a success standpoint, but it just kind of felt like that first interception just kind of threw them off track. And they recovered, and they had that really great drive that looked like it was going to at least get it to a one-score game, you know, at least 17-10, if not 17-14 by halftime. And then uh, the 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 Will Levis fumble, the fumble back, and then the missed kit, the missed field goal at the end, just kind of a uh, a fiasco of, of monumental proportions there. Um, but I think, in general, the first half was a lot of. And this is really the story of the game, I think, to get a little ahead of myself, is the so many unforced errors. It didn't feel like Indiana was doing a whole lot that led to Penn State making these errors. You know, the the screen pass was well set up. It was just a misexecuted throw. The the second interception was a you know, Pat Firemoose wide open, Clifford just misses him, misses him. He's not under pressure. The muff kick, the same thing, you know, you know, a kick that never should have been taken out of the end zone. Um and then the you know the fumble on the goal line and the in the missed field goal. Those are other than the fumble where Levis was stripped. It was a lot of things that Penn State did to itself, really without being forced into it by you know a, an aggressive defense or um, you know Clifford getting hit or re, you know receiver defensive backs making great plays. It was just a lot of uncharacteristic. Um, and this is kind of my overarching point that I'll I'm sure I'll hit on a few times here really uncharacteristic from James Franklin teams that we've seen really since he's been in state college, they don't turn the ball over. They don't make, um, you know, the kind of penalty that we saw just very odd in, in so many ways, but that's really, I think the first half was, you know, kind of a microcosm of the game in a sense where, you know, they, they committed a lot of, uh, you know, they committed the turnovers obviously, but they had a lot of um, committed a lot of errors that just were very, unfortunate and and unforced yeah i i, I want to give uh, a nod to uh our own dan smith on this one because this is something that he had said to us a few times which was that it really felt like they had an entire game plan built around the fact that noah kane was going to be in the backfield um i don't think it's a coincidence that the rushing offense ended up looking its best when Kayvon Lee was able to get run back there since he's the more bruising physical style of running back, uh, as opposed to Devin Ford, who, uh, you know, he has a lot of good stuff in his game, but that is ultimately not his game. Lee is the guy closest to Kane, and I think not having Kane probably threw them through a bit of a loop. They lost that solidity in the running game. Uh, Next thing you know, they're, they just seem to struggle, like you mentioned, to get in any sort of a rhythm, Matt. Like, the interception leads to a field goal. You know, that's a, that, that's something you almost have to throw your hands in the air on and go, listen, 
that was absurd. I can't explain that. And it's inexplicable. Like Sean Clifford in his second year as Penn State starting quarterback in like his 15th year in this program has to be better in that situation. And I feel like he's probably the first person who will tell you that that gives Indiana the ball on Penn state's 38 yard line. Uh, they end up getting, you know, making some stuff happen, going down the field, uh, settle for a field goal. The next two drives, um, like, I just don't know. I, I Penn state gets a first down on its ensuing drive. First and 10 in, uh, lose yards on a pass, second and 10, gain yards on a run, then a penalty, then third and 12, they can't convert. They punt, Indiana gets the ball at their 38, march right down the field, uh, and end up scoring. The next drive is the other Clifford interception. So you really look at those two touchdown drives for Indiana, and the things that led to them were, one, Penn State getting itself way behind the sticks and being unable to convert a third and long, and two, an interception that should have never happened. Like, those 14 points, you know, the defense has to stop them there, and the defense wasn't perfect. Uh, Lamont Wade should thank the Lord that uh, Michael Penix was off early on in the game because there were a few throws that, if he made them, guys would have just... Uh, Michael Penix and uh, uh, Lamont Wade, and I forget who the uh, maybe I forget who the other one was, uh, but Penix just barely missed who he was throwing to. It might have been Jaquan Brisker. I don't remember off the top of my head. But if he connects on that again, dude's walking into the end zone. There were you mentioned there were so many errors by Penn State, Matt. I think the thing with me is that it wasn't so much they were errors, it was that they were unforced errors. It's something like uh, Rashid Walker false starting on a third and seven to put them way behind the sticks, or it's something like Sean Clifford in that really wretched interception, or it's something like Lamont Wade taking the ball out of the end zone, or it's something like them deciding to go with the Will Levis package, uh, and that's either Levis first or second time doing anything in that game, and he makes the wrong read on whether or not to hand it off, and then he fumbles. Like, And that doesn't even get to the fact that they ended it with a 25-yard field goal that Jake Pinnaker missed. Like, that's ultimate... We're going to talk about this at the end, Matt, and don't get me wrong. What the referees did at the end of this game was beyond inexcusable. Having said that, I'm a firm believer and you take care of your business to the extent that the referees getting involved isn't possible. And quite frankly, Penn State just did not take care of its business in the first half. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more because um, I think the, the plays that stick out more to me are, are more second half sorts of things. But um, it wasn't just the – there were a couple – dubious penalty calls that came at really unfortunate times. Um, the Pat Fryermuth offensive pass interference and then the, the face mask on, on Isaac. Horrible. Um, that, um, again, if, if you make plays either before or after that, they don't matter as much, but they still happened. And it's, it's you know, like I said, something we'll talk a little bit more about. But it was just, you know, like I said, the, the fact that it wasn't, these errors weren't being made by, you know, guys getting to Sean Clifford or, you know, great plays being made by, by defensive players to, to break up passes or, or, or tip balls that lead to interceptions. It was 
you know, the, the, the screen pass, the, the, the overthrow of Pat Fryermuth, um, Lamont Wade kind of losing track of where he was on the field and then trying to do too much. And um, it, it continued in the second half, too, um, with just, you know, unfortunate penalties at poor times. Um, just, a, a, like I said earlier, a very uncharacteristic thing. I think that's the one thing that, you know, even d- during those first couple of years where Penn State struggled mightily um, on offense, they weren't turning the ball over. They weren't committing penalties. They just didn't have the players more than anything to 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 be explosive and be efficient. That's certainly not the problem now. And all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, these sorts of things come up. And I don't know how much of that is um, driven by this odd calendar year they've had with no spring practice and then starting fall camp, then stopping fall camp, then restarting again. And, you know, all the extra things have been put into place for, for obvious and, and good reasons. Um, it just, it's so out of character for what we've come to expect that um, part of me wants to read not too much into it. And part of me wonders if this is you know, the kind of thing we're going to see this year, just because of the, the oddities of, of everything going on. Yeah. I, it's, it's so funny that we, I feel like we're almost not in a position to add the context that is brand new offensive coordinator, a bunch of brand new receivers, you know, essentially a bunch of brand new running backs. I mean, Devin Ford was with uh, the program last year, but it wasn't exactly like he was toting the rock uh, 20 times a game. All the stuff that Penn State did that went wrong in the first half felt like stuff that existed aside from that. I mean, Sean Clifford missing a few throws that he absolutely cannot miss if Penn State is going to make the leap that it is going to. Uh, Ford just not be not looking like he was the kind of running back for the game, uh, kind of game they were trying to run. Uh, those sorts of things. So there is that added context. There is the fact that, and I don't remember if I said this on the Potter, if this is something that I said to you guys, uh, just as we were talking about this game, but the fact that there was no, um, you, you know, the standard off season didn't happen meant that the gap between the teams at the very top of the conference and the team's, below them was going to be a little bit smaller than normal. I mean, I, I, I'm a, ask anybody who is a fan of the English Premier League, that's what's happening over there right now. It, it's just this weird mix of stuff before we even get to uh, the second half of the game, which was completely bonkers, Matt, because for all the stuff that we are saying now about the issues with the first quarter, first half, beyond the fact that Penn State's first drive was a 15-play, 54-yard slog that ends with Jake Pinnegar missing another field goal. Despite all this stuff, it legitimately felt to me like they were figuring stuff out on both sides of the football. And it legitimately felt to me like they were... If you'd basically told me after that drive where uh, Sean Clifford ran 35 yards for a touchdown to make it 17 to 14, 
I felt almost certain that Penn State was going to win at that point because it just felt like the offense got into a bit of a rhythm over those two drives, even if one of them ended in a missed field goal, and the defense had been playing better than we anticipated all game and was really starting to get locked in by that point. Yeah, I think I'm glad you mentioned that first drive because that's the one where that Firemuth offensive pass interference uh, just, I think, Mark Helfrich on the broadcast said something to the effect of, um, you know, if, if you're a Penn State fan, you're, you're, you're wondering what exactly happened there. And you know, the answer, obviously, is, is not a whole lot. Um, and it's, But it's, on one hand, you know, it's, it's a call that can't be made. On the other hand, it's still third and nine if, that, if, if the, no flag is thrown because the pass was incomplete there. And the offense, the way it at least currently appears, is just not set up to, um, to make up. You, you can't make those mistakes. You can't have false starts. You can't have holding penalties. Um, and, and those were, were legit calls. Um, but it's, you know, it was one of those, everything seemed to be clicking. They're at least going to get three points out of it. You have to think. Um, you, know, you know, I know Pinnaker missed the short kick. He proved last year he was, um, I think it was what, 11 of 12 or 12 of 13 on the air, um, you know, even if they don't get another yard, he's kicking from the, you know, it's a 35-ish yard field goal instead of a 47 or 48 that I think he ended up, he, that went wide left. Um, and it just felt like another one of those, here we go again. And then on the, the very next play, um, they get the the gift from from Michael Penix uh, with Lamont, May, Lamont Wade um, jumping the, the post route. And they, they get the touchdown after that. That gets them back in the game, like you said, um, even on the, you know, the next three drives, um, sorry, the next two drives, they don't score, but they move the ball at least. And it, and the offense is, while not explosive, is proving that it, it it's effective. It's moving the ball. Um, they're just not not you know getting it all the way in there until they the then only the Jahan Dotson um, long touchdown reception. And it just felt like for all the mistakes they made, and I think we talked about this at halftime that if they just clean that stuff up then they were going to be okay as long as the defense kept playing the way it had over the first half. Um, and I, I made a comment at some point to, um, during the game, you know, while they were still trailing that, you know, Penn State might lose a game but give up by giving up less than 150 yards. Um, obviously, things went completely sideways from there. Um, but I think you started to see glimpses, at least, of what Kirk Chirac is trying to do. Um, I, You know, this is the kind of thing you'll, you'll never hear them talk openly about, but I wonder how many you know, shot plays, the, the big plays that they tried to call downfield just weren't there or were missed by, you know, quarterback not seeing them or, you know, defense, defense you know, anticipating them well or, or something like that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Penn State still put up, two, you know, 450 yards of offense in regulation with the three turnovers, with all the issues. And so it's this weird, you know, obviously – something was off. You know, you, you can't watch what we watched for, you know, four quarters in overtime and not have some questions about what was going on. But at the same time, they still, you know, 28 regulation points. They still had 400 and some yards. Um, and they were in a position to win the game despite almost a hundred yards and penalties and three turnovers. Uh, absolutely. And when I look uh, Penn State's defense was fine. Like, there's the great irony of Penn State football 
uh, that I think we've seen a few times over the years where the defense does enough to win a game until the very last drive of the game. <laughs> and that, you know, came back to bite them. But you look at what Penn State's offense did. First play the second half, uh, 54 yards, they end up missing a field goal, a dubious penalty in there. Then a touchdown, uh, punt on a drive that, yeah, began with a, uh, it began with a first and 10 incomplete pass. And if there's one thing that we've come to learn about Penn State football is that if they throw an incomplete pass on first and 10, they're going to end up punting a few plays later. Stuffed on downs when they were in a position where they, re- like, it was the right call to go for it. Fourth and one, Indiana's 25 down by six. You know, Indiana's defense just made a play. Uh, then a touchdown, then a touchdown. Like, the offense got more cohesive, and while that was happening, Indiana's second half, punt, interception, field goal, punt, punt, downs, uh, with the downs being the drive where it seemed like Shaka Tony was uh, hell-bent on, you know, being a fixture in Michael Penix's nightmares for the rest of his life. So, everything had come together, and then... Indiana decides to go for it. Fourth and 21 on their 14, Michael Penix incomplete pass. Penn State gets the ball the next possession, Matt. A minute 42 left, up by seven. First and 10, Sean Clifford hands it off to Devin Ford. Indiana's defense doesn't do anything. Devin Ford runs it into the end zone, realizes a half second too late what's going on. What goes through your head in that moment? Because, let's face it, that is the moment as we are looking back on this game, if we could point the finger to one moment where Penn State had a chance at redemption and, you know, couldn't get out of their own way, I think it's that. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. My first thought was, oh my God, the backdoor covers of all backdoor cover. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, 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 I think I tweeted the backdoor is open, so... And then and immediately after that, it's, you know, the realization that, wait a minute, they, they wanted this to happen. And to jump ahead a little bit here, I think when you combine Devin Ford's reaction as he kind of falls into the end zone, you know, from the half yard line when he realizes what's going on and James Franklin's comments after the game, it seems pretty obvious to me that I think um, it was relayed from... The co- the, from the sideline before they ever even came onto the field in that situation that, you know, get the first down, go down. I think they could have gotten a first down what it probably the two or three yard line, you know, roughly. And when you combine and, and obviously James Franklin, we know enough about him at this point, he's not going to remotely throw a player under the bus in that situation, regardless of, of what actually led to it. Um, but the way he's he spoke and the way Ford reacted on the field in the moment makes me think that this wasn't a, um, you know, I've seen it a little bit online today and, and people writing about it that, you know, oh, another James Franklin game management guffaw. Um, he, I, I have to think that that was discussed and, and relayed to the guys on the field. And it's just an unfortunate play by a, a young guy who hasn't played a whole lot and certainly hasn't been in that situation that, um, you know, the adrenaline's pumping and, you know, all you've ever done for your mm-hmm. entire life is, is score in that situation. And then, you know, then we know what happened from there. Um, I still had, had 
pretty high confidence just based on what the defense had done, you know, certainly all game, but especially in that previous drive where um, you know, uh, Shaka Tony got the, the sacks, but Jason Owe on the other end was just about as unblockable. I think there was one where Tony just beat him there by a split second and they kind of, um, you know, sandwiched Penix there. Um, Penn State had given up, I think at that point, 140 some yards of offense, maybe even less than that after the sacks on the previous drive. And, you know, I'm going, there's no way that Indiana is set up to get over 50% of the yardage they already have in the game in this situation with Penn State knows what they're going to do. They know they're passing. Um, and the, I mentioned it earlier, um, Indiana's first play, they complete the, uh, the, the 12 yard pass to, to Watt Filer who gets out of bounds, um, at the Indiana 37 on the next play, Adisa Isaac, who's in for Tony, who I'm sure was just getting a quick breather, just goes completely untouched around, around the, the outside gets to Penix for probably a seven or eight yard loss, which is going to put him back to the 30 yard line, second and long. You know, not not the kind of situation you want to be in at that point in the game. And, and I, obviously, we all saw what happened, and and the flag came out, and in the, in the moment, it looked, you know, in real time from the the game feed, the, the main camera, it looked like like an obvious call, and then you realize it wasn't even remotely close, especially from the angle the guy that threw the flag had. And you know, all of a sudden, Indiana goes from second and we'll say eighteen at their own thirty to first and ten at the Penn State forty-eight, and that's I mean that's a a twenty-five yard you know, 20, 25 yard difference. And I think from there that, you know, really just obviously gave Indiana life and, and Penix completed a couple great passes, great catches. I don't think there was really, there weren't really any plays on that drive where it felt like Penn state didn't do what they were supposed to. I think Penix just executed so well. Um, And then, you know, they go down and they score and and he kind of goes in untouched on the two point conversion. (laughs) And then the, the squib kick that, was miss hit or Penn state just happened to have a guy in the right spot. Um, and, and they still have a shot somehow when it comes up, you know, what, probably a foot short of, of sneaking its way over the crossbar from 57 yards out. Um, it just kind of, it kind of felt like at that point it was, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah. I going back to the forward run, like it's something that, I think it's very easy for all of us to sit here, uh, the schmucks who the extent of our football is we played Pop Warner and we've played some Madden and every Thanksgiving we get way too into the family game to say he obviously has to know there. He He's told this over and over again, but if you're a running back, your number one thought in that situation is I'm going to go like, oh, look, there's a path to the end zone. I'm going to take it. And even if he want, if he is doing any sort of calculus about that, with how Penn State's defense played, like you assume they can keep a team from scoring eight points on them. I will say this. I think that Ford running in and the fact that, like you mentioned, Matt, it's pretty obvious that James Frank, James Franklin or someone on the sideline told him, hey, they might let you score, and if so, just go down. Ignore it provides a bit of cover for the fact that Penn State 110% should have gone for two in that situation. No matter what, you are going to be up by a touchdown. If they score a touchdown, you're going to you are going to have to stop them for going for two going for two at some point whether it is uh in overtime, whether it is on that drive whenever it might be. 
just go and try and win the game right there. Like you have, they are giving you, they literally just handed you an opportunity to win the football game. Take advantage of that. And that like, that's always been, uh, to whatever extent I have unease about James Franklin. That's always been like the thing that I'm kind of, I've been kind of uneasy about. It seems like there's just not a willingness to go out and try and win football games. Uh, there's a there's an element of risk aversion to it. There's a ver- element of let's be smart. Let's let's think all this stuff and not you know, uh, let's just go out there and do our thing. Like let's go take advantage of the fact that there is one team in the Big Ten we cannot out talent. And I think this game was a really good example of the fact that just on the whole that Penn State can out-talent teams when it wants, and for whatever reason, it just does not do that. But that that happens, everything with Ford happens there. It's maddening, uh, it's maddening in retrospect at the time, you have, you're, you have to assume he, Indiana's not going to score. Like you mentioned, there's that bad face max penalty. Penix, I think, deserves a world of credit. Because he had been taking shots from Penn State's defense all game, and he just kept standing in there and standing in there and standing in there. On the la- basically on every drive before this, it seemed like he was saying, "I can hear footsteps," and he was getting it out, acknowledging that. On this drive, it seemed like he was, you know, if someone was going to knock his helmet off, he was going to be perfectly fine with that because he just had to get the he knew he had to get the ball out of his hands and to his guys, and his guys ended up making plays. So Indiana does that. Everything happens at the end of the game. Um, I don't, Matt. Where do you stand on? I wish they uh, just real quick. I wish they took one more shot uh, on that third down and one, where there were eight seconds left and Penn State had no timeouts. I think with eight seconds, and they talked. The you know Helfrich, a former head coach who's been in the situation, you know, numerous times. I'm sure said it perfectly. I think you're, it's kind of that no win situation, you know, the eight seconds is, you know, we're probably enough time to run a play, but it's so close that if, you know, one small detail is off, then all of a sudden you take away any chance you have to kick that field goal. I I think the the one play they did run with the, um, you know, where it really just turned into a throwaway. I think it was one of those, Hey, if, and it was clear they were looking for Jahan Dotson. You know, he's the guy that they're looking to make the play in that situation. If, you know, if you're able to run such and such a route, we're going there. If not, throw it away as quick as you can, and we're kicking. I think that was, um, you know, the we're trying to, it's, it's a risk aversion, or not risk aversion, but risk assessment kind of thing, where you're trying to, you're, you know, how far are you, are you willing to go? I think that the way they had, um, you know, been able to pick up pretty consistently, um, especially with Clifford's legs, um, you know, a couple yards on, on a draw or, you know, um, you know, just the, the kind of that power play up the middle. I think it's probably safe with the clock stopping on a first down that they probably could have gotten a couple more yards. I don't think it's, you know, some egregious um, game management, you know, uh, a faux pas where you, you did something that, every other coach in the country is going to do. I think you're, you're in a tough spot there. And I think they probably managed it as, you know, as well as, as you're going to without, um, you know, without the timeout, you're really left with, with very few options. Yeah. I, I'm going back right now and I can't rem- 
I can't find when Penn State called their first timeout of the uh, – was it on that first drive? Um, when they called their first timeout of the uh, – of the half, but I think it was on Indiana's last drive. I think it was when they got it down inside, maybe the, the 15 or the 20. I think they called one there. Cause it was pretty, you know, just almost trying to give the defense a blow. And then they called the second one before the two point conversion. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I mean, I wish they had an extra time out there, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I forgot that it was, uh, a second and third and one for some reason, like I just had it in my head that it was a little bit longer than that, but I do wish, you know, they, with 11 seconds left, they, they put a hat on a hat. They get the extra, however many yards they go down, they spike the ball. But like, again, that's one of those situations I just don't know. And Jordan, uh, you know, you give Jordan Stout that extra yard, it's probably going in based on what we saw, but we've also seen him make a 57-yarder, so I can't blame them uh, for being optimistic about what he can do in that exact situation. Uh, yeah, Penn State ends up getting the ball back. Uh, Penn State gets the ball first in overtime. Nice little drive to get down the feet field uh, run by Sean Clifford, uh, Devin Ford to stuff. And then a pair of passes to Parker Washington. Uh, he had a, uh, you know, he didn't do a ton during the game, but he came up big at the very end. Uh, I'm sure we'll mention the freshmen and how they performed a little bit later. Indiana comes back down. Michael Penix passes Stevie Scott, Stevie Scott run, Stevie Scott run pass to second and goal. Penn State eight pass loss for one yard, third and goal at the nine. Uh, Penix finds Wafillier, and then the play happens. Uh, Michael Penix runs it in, quote unquote, runs it in. Matt, I mentioned earlier that I am of the belief that you never let refs make their imprint felt on a game, and this is basically why, because. To me, the refs made two absolutely inex one one wrong decision in giving it to Penix. Um, you know, it's a bang 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 play on the field. I understand calling that a touchdown, I, a conversion, even though I didn't think it was. And then two, I think the fact that they didn't confirm or overturn. They said it stood when it legitimately was for determining who won and lost the football game is unconscionable. I don't even get into the, the, the verbiage anymore. You know, call, you know, stands, overturns, confirmed. I think it's, it's all lip service, for lack of a better term, unless it's painfully obvious. You know, that's always going to be, you know, the call stands. Um, but with that said, um, that seemed awfully painfully obvious. Um, obviously, we're we're biased here in, in who we cheer for, but um, you know this is an anecdotal story more than anything. But um, to talking to unbiased uh, family over the last couple, you know, twenty four hours or so, um, the general consensus was he was short, and I think. Um, I don't understand 
having replay, you, whether you have it or, you know, or not is, is a debate. I, I would be totally okay in most situations not having replay. I think it's, you know, it's made officiating worse in a lot of ways. But with that said, you still have it. And I don't know what else you're looking for to be able to overturn a call. You know, it's, we've all seen the video and the photos and, and everything. And there is not an ounce of doubt in my mind that he was short. You know, the, the ball clearly hits on the white out of bounds before it hits the pylon. You know, you go frame by frame like they were doing on the broadcast yesterday. And it is very, very obvious, I think that that ball hit on the white before it hit the pylon. And I know they were talking about, you know, did it break the plane before it hit? I don't know physically how that happens. I'm, I'm a, a business guy. I'm not a, a physicist or a, a mathematician or anything that, you know, can break down the angles, but I can't fathom how that, how you could watch that and determine that he either broke the plane before it hit out of bounds or he hit the pylon before it went out of bounds. It was just so so obvious the first time I saw it, the first time they showed the replay, you see the ball hit and then you actually see the pylon kind of get a little indentation in it on the next frame. And that's, I think as you know, as clear as day that it, it, there, he was not in. Yeah. Like I, I, it, it's impossible to even talk about because unless you're an Indiana fan, you know, I even think a, a good number of Indiana fans would probably agree with this. You're essentially trying to figure out how the only people on Earth who were who got that wrong were the ones whose job it was to get it right. And it legitimately cost Penn State... Like, it directly cost Penn State a football game. Like we mentioned, there's a lot of other stuff that ended up over the course of the evening costing Penn State that football game. But it's not a moment for redemption. It's a moment for evidence that the system works. Evidence that the best of the best are officiating the game. That the replay, replay as we talk about it works. Just all this stuff and... No, like, I, I I don't know how you can say that the system works when that just happened. Penn State lost a football game for a bunch of reasons. Penn State directly lost that football game because the official decided that it they could not, you know, they couldn't take an extra minute or two to make a judgment. To make a call that, even if you don't want to say obje- you could objectively see what happened, it is your duty to say definitively that is a touchdown or that is not a touchdown because that touchdown or not or that is a conversion or not a conversion because if not that is going to cause that is going to swing the outcome of a football. You're like it is ridiculous. Re- ridiculous to me like i'm not going to sit here and say that penn state should like appeal to the big 10 and uh try and get the big 10 to overturn the results of the game because like i'd legitimately lose respect for james franklin if he did that and i think he understands that you know you know 
no coach in college football understands optics quite as well as James Franklin. So I don't think he would even consider doing something like that, but it's just, it's ridiculous. Like Penn State is sitting here 0-1 right now because they were able to overcome everything that they did, but they were not able to overcome one decision by the officials. And it's 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 stupid, it's dumb, it's why we love college football, and it's why we hate that college football happened to us. Um, I don't have much else to say about this game, Matt. I think we've covered everything pretty well, but I do think it's worth talking about, you know, just kind of shooting the breeze on big picture stuff. Before we get to that, is there any final thing that you want to mention about the Indiana game? Just two real brief things, you know, going back to Devin Ford real quick. Um, and I actually haven't seen the play. We were in the car when it happened, but you know, Todd Gurley, who is, you know, arguably, you know, one of the top NFL, top running backs in the NFL did the exact same thing. It was, it looked like a carbon copy from everything, or it sounded like a carbon copy from everything that I've read about it, where he realized as he's going in that, oh, shoot, I shouldn't go in. Um, and, and Detroit uh, ended up going down the field and winning the game um, with a, a last literal, literal last-second touchdown. Um, and the only thing I'll add to the whole, you know, don't put it in the ref's hands, which I 150% agree with, is at the same time, you still see lots and lots of games where teams don't, you know, are, are far from their best. And I think that's what we would say Penn State was yesterday by, for all intents and purposes, where they still find a way to win the game. And that's, that's the most frustrating part to me is that, um, and, and we'll see, you know, how this, the next, um, you know, seven plus one games play out. But that's the disappointing thing is it felt like that was a game Penn State, you know, certainly didn't play well enough to win, but still had done enough to win ultimately in the end. And, you know, like we've talked about ad nauseum here that they didn't. Um, so, so onwards and upwards and, and, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, you know, next week and beyond. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was just doing the math cause like I wanted to go and look, look through the box score at, be, because something we mentioned and we're not necessarily wrong to say this Penn state wasn't at their best. Well, they had 11 more first downs than Indiana. They were nine for 17, which is about 53% on third down. Indiana was 4 for 12. They had 488 total yards, 238 passing, 250 rushing. Indiana had 211 total yards, 170 passing, 41 rushing. The gap between how many yards Penn State and Indiana had was bigger than the number of yards that Indiana had. Time of possession, uh, Penn State had them 2 to 1. Like It was not something that I I thought Penn State was capable of doing, putting that kind of thing up. It was literally penalties and turnovers that, in terms of stuff that cost Penn State, ended up costing them that game. And there's an element of optimism that you could take from that. Um, you, you know, clean that stuff up, and you're a team that just went on the road and put together a, a, a bunch of uh, really impressive numbers against a good Indiana team. And I don't want that being lost in any of this. Indiana's a good football team. They are a well-coached football team. They have players on offense and on defense who can win them game, like all this stuff. And Penn State went there and Penn State was able to move the ball on them. Penn State was able to keep the ball away from them and Penn State was able to score on them. They just weren't able to do uh, 
to avoid the kinds of things that can cost you a game against a good football team. Uh, I do want to talk a bit, though, about big picture stuff, Matt, because there is a sense of doom and gloom that I've noticed after this game in particular. And I think it's because it's kind of at the intersection of a few of the problems that have existed with Penn State football over the years. The game ends uh, with the defense needing to make a stop, and they just can't do that. Uh, the, the There were some questionable decisions on when to do this and when to do that, and the thing with James Franklin is always going to be stuff like clock management, timeout usage, personnel groupings, things like that. And, you know, the latest new offensive coordinator came in and his offense had its charms but still looked flawed. The players themselves, uh, a lot, you know, imperfect, especially Sean Clifford. And we've said for years that the thing that is most needed for Penn State to be able to get into that next tier is quarterback play going from good to great or great to whatever you want to say. And then there is that. There is simply that. There is the James Franklin after Ohio State in 2018 rant about being a good, formerly being a good program, now being a great program, and wanting to make the leap to an elite program. Bill Connolly of ESPN wrote something about this in the lead-up to the game. And we what we saw in this game was not an elite football program. And I think over the last couple of years of Penn State football and what we've been building towards and we th- what we have thought this season could be, Matt, I think that's why I feel some amount of uh, being bummed out. It is that I thought this team had what it took to be elite, and maybe they still end up being elite, but right now they just are not. Yeah, and I think it's um, I, I certainly get get the angst and the the pessimism. I honestly think a lot of it comes from who's on the schedule in in six days from now, when you know, almost exactly six days from when we're recording this, um, with with Ohio State coming to town, um, and the the high probability in all in all honesty of of being zero and two, and you know the AP poll streak ending and things like that. Um, people have listened to us enough know that I'm, I'm a more, more optimistic. I just, you know, I've always been this way and I try and, um, you know, maybe it's a a self coping sort of thing, but try and look on the the positive side of things as best as I can. Um, you know, for, for all of Penn state's faults yesterday, like you said, Bill, they, you know, they converted on third downs. They stopped Indiana from converting on third downs. They got to the quarterback. They were able to generate pressure, um, with just four or five guys, I thought the secondary, especially um, Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields, were very good. Um, so I think there's a lot of lot of positives to take away from that. And I think um, if you and going back to something I said very early on in this on this podcast is if you look at this game in a bubble on its own, it's so abnormal from what Penn State has been by and large, under James Franklin. They aren't a team that gets gets penalized a lot. They aren't a team that turns the ball over. Um, 
and 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 you want if you want to even take that further, they aren't a team that has converted third downs terribly successfully um, on on both sides of the ball. Um, but like you said too, there's things that have have not allowed them to take that next step. And I think part of that is even personnel. You know, we talked about you know back in in January, you know this team looked absolutely loaded, and then you know the Micah Parsons opt out and. And and you're replacing an All-American at linebacker in the Journey Brown news from a little over a week ago, and then you lose Noah Kane, your your second string running back on you know the first series of the game really, and then you lose Jesse Lukita in the second half to the targeting call, and I think the 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 message in all that to some degree is that Penn State's margin for error isn't that of you know really the probably the three elite programs in the country, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State where you can probably sustain the loss of a couple of those guys. But I mean, they're, you know, you've got, you know, I think Lance Dixon, and we'll get the snap counts later in the week. Lance Dixon played a lot of football in the second half, really the most he's played, you know, at, at the collegiate level. You had um, Devin Ford, who was the the third or fourth running back a year ago, was thrust into the number one spot. He had 20 carries yesterday. And you've got two true freshmen behind him. And I think even Kevon Lee got banged up at some point. He obviously came back into the game. But um, the spots where they've lost guys, they're talented, but they're still really young too. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think if if you had just about any other team on the schedule a week from now, then the big picture looks a lot differently than it does right now because I think of what most of us are anticipating on, on Saturday night against Ohio State. I that that really is the big thing, I think. It's the fact that they don't have there was always going to be a concern with playing Indiana first because Indiana is Again, they're a team that's going to come in, be really well coached, really well disciplined, take advantage of any uh, mistakes Penn State's make. Like, it, Indiana really is the worst possible team to get at the very, very, very f- front of your schedule. Then having Ohio State next after this, you know, I mentioned this to Matt on uh, one of the pods that we did in the lead up to the season. My single biggest question about this Penn State season is whether or not it's a good or a bad thing to get Ohio State early. And I thought that question would define Penn State's entire season. Because for how grim things are right now, that is that is still essentially a Big Ten championship game play-in game. If Penn State is able to take care of business against Michigan, which looks very good against Minnesota, God knows what ends up happening there. But... If Penn State wins this game and then wins out, Penn State's going to the Big Ten Championship game. If Penn State loses this game and wins out, you know, they're still they're gonna probably finish second in all likelihood in the division, but it's going to feel like a missed opportunity. And I think that last thing is what is resonating with Penn State fans so much. It's that The last, you know, from the end of that Rose Bowl, the last drive of that game, or the last couple of drives of that game, that felt like a missed opportunity. 2017, losing to Ohio State in a game that they, in a game that they led comfortably felt like a missed opportunity, and then following that up with a loss to Michigan State, a Michigan State team that was not particularly good, felt like a missed opportunity. 
The year after that, the exact same thing happens again, only with a worse Michigan State team. And then last year, you know, it was just evident that they weren't great. Well, I don't want to say weren't great. They weren't on the level of, say, in Ohio State. But they were a team that felt like they were building a foundation to do something special this year. And that is evidenced by the fact that they weren't nearly the team that we had seen in Penn State's best years, and they still won 11 games or whatever it ended up being. So you'll look at all this, and losing to the Indiana game, it just feels like the latest gut punch from that perspective. And that's the thing that I think is bugging Penn State fans the most, is that there is a sense, I think, that we're always going to be the bridesmaid and never the bride in the Big Ten East. As long as Ohio State keeps doing Ohio State things. And this game... Matt, you know, I'm picking my words very carefully. You can correct me if I'm wrong. This game reinforced that Penn State needs everything, needs a lot of more stuff to go right than a team like an Ohio State, like a Clemson, than an, like an Alabama, if they want to do something special. And getting that confirmation hurts. And getting that confirmation before playing Ohio State is terrifying. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. Um, I think um, the the elephant in the room with all this is something you mentioned earlier is what James Franklin said after the Ohio State game two years ago. You know, the whole the, the great to elite comment, and you know it's it's been mentioned ad nauseum by myself, by you know countless media people, by the program itself that they are on the level of very, very few teams in the country with what they've done since 2016, especially, you know, with consecutive weeks ranked and number of wins and, and on and on, including a big 10 championship. The problem is one of those teams that is the level above you for the umpteenth time. We mentioned this is, is in your division and you play them every year and you get that, that, that progress update every year. And I think this year, especially with the circumstances dictating that there's going to be, you know, just a thousand Penn state fans in that building and it's family and friends along with a thousand Ohio state fans that and, and family that the great equalizer of, of the whiteout Beaver stadium primetime atmosphere is not there seven days after you lost a game that was there for the taking that you just, you, you gave it away. And so I, th- I think that's the, the, the fly in the ointment or the, 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 the burn everyone's saddle. Um, and I, I haven't been on, on, you know, social media and stuff like that a whole lot since the, the end of the game. Um, but I've, I've talked to friends and, and a little bit and the, I certainly get the sentiment. I, and I, I kind of, you know, People that are saying things like that to me are, are the people that I think are pretty level-headed about things that aren't, you know, a pass is incomplete and want to fire the offensive coordinator types. And it's, I find myself conflicted just because of the, the oddities of, of the last, you know, 
you know, what, seven months now or eight months, whatever it's been. Time is a, is a social construct in this year um, where it's you, – there are certainly things to be learned and, and evaluated. But at the same time, there are so many unique things going on too that are, are certainly affecting every team. But I think it makes it on some level at least a little more – difficult to discern where a lot of things are you know Penn State like I said lost you know an all-american on each side of the ball um you know one that is almost certainly when Micah Parsons due to uh you know the uncertainty around this season and then Journey Brown who you know without knowing the specifics of what's going on is that something that's you know the result of um you know the the medical testing and everything that players are going through because of the COVID situation so I'm kind of I'm kind of losing losing the the point here, but I I think in the ultimate big picture I think everything is going to be okay. I don't think this is the beginning of the end of of this run of of four years of really pretty solid Penn State football. I don't think this is the beginning of the end of James Franklin's tenure or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's a disappointment that they aren't exactly what we thought they were at this point um and i'm gonna you know, it's, you know regardless of what happens on saturday against ohio state i'm gonna be very interested to see what happens in the remaining um you know six plus one games after that with how the offense evolves and you know we saw a pair of freshman receivers and, and parker washington keandre lambert smith who i both thought looked pretty good um, in the little the limited action that we saw. I think um, there's a lot of talent in the secondary. Um, you know, Shaka Tony and Jason Noe are going to be fun as hell to watch this year. I'm not even mentioning Adisa Isaac, who I think is, is right there, um, you know, maybe a half step behind where they are at the moment. So there's a lot of, of good things at the, to, to focus on, and that's, you know, like I said earlier, where I ultimately find myself falling most of the time. Um but I think there's still that reality that, hey, we're, you know, almost exactly two years now from that, that great to elite comment. And we're maybe just a half step, you know, better than they were in that 2018 year. Um, and certainly, you know, we'll find out in six days, no closer to that team that they're me- measuring themselves against. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, that, that's, that's all perfectly fair. And, uh, the, you know, just the last thing we'll mention, we'll, we'll say this quickly because we'll be doing plenty of stuff this week on the site regarding the Ohio State game. Uh, I, I'm glad they have Ohio State next week. Like, I, you know, this doesn't mean that I think Penn State is going to beat Ohio State. Like, you know, when I saw that it, the line, that it opened at something like Ohio State minus eight or something like that. I consider driving uh, from where I live in the Southern tier of New York into Pennsylvania. So I could place a wager on that because that's insane to me. Um, it's actually up to, it's up, open at eight. It's up to 12 and a half now, actually. So um, I mean, even maybe, 12, maybe hold off on that drive. I don't know. I mean, even 12 and a half is like, Oh, you know, like I, two touchdowns. Basically uh, is this Penn state team, two touchdowns worse. I mean, can Ohio State win this game by two touchdowns? Like, mm, yeah, I think that's real possible. Neither here nor there. I'm glad they get Ohio State next week. I really am. Penn State's losses the last couple of years, How you know, there have been... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't remember off the top of my head. Was, oh, 
was Minnesota the week before Ohio State last year? Two weeks before. Two they weeks came before. out and okay. they beat, was it Rutgers the next week? Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> that hey, was a fun game. Hey, God, you have a fun sense of humor. Uh, so, yeah, I that one aside, like, the last couple of years, the two years before that, the loss that they suffered ended up – how do I phrase this? Ohio the, State beat them twice. Right. Ohio sense. State beat them twice because they would come out and they would lose the game the following week uh, against a Michigan State team that they just should not have lost to. So I'm glad – Like, well, and then even look back in 2018 – they lose to Michigan the following week. They had that really gross game against Wisconsin where they won it 22 to 10, but it wasn't exactly um, the most comfortable and confident win that Penn State has ever had. But neither here nor there. Hangovers have been a problem with James Franklin teams. And I'm glad, and I don't know about you, Matt, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more throughout the week. I'm glad that they basically can't have a hangover because if they have a hangover, they are going to lose to Ohio State by five touchdowns. Yeah, I, I actually I honestly hadn't get, thought about it that way, but I think that's it's the uh, the easiest way I think to make sure you have your team's attention going to Ohio State is um, you know a poor performance and a loss the week before. Um, you, you're going to have everyone's attention because I think no one's obviously happy with losing, and they and they know you know what's coming this week. And this week is uh, the week. I mean, like we said, for how kind of bleak things feel right now, Penn State can remedy every single issue that they have if they come out and they beat Ohio State. Uh, if they don't, then they're 0-2 to start the season, and uh, they're probably not in the top 25, and I just don't want to think about that. But we can uh, we can cross that bridge when we get to it. Matt, any uh, any final things to say before I do the sign-off? No, I think it's um, – if I've learned anything from James Franklin's – was it the seventh season now at Penn State, that they are going to be ready to play Ohio State. I'm not saying they're going to win or anything, but even even those 20, the 2015 game where I think is the biggest margin of defeat, they weren't horribly outclassed from the start mm-hmm. of that game. Um, so the, the talent-wise, there was a huge, huge gap, but they have always played Ohio State hard. They've always been competitive games. Um, I think that the X factor in this is just, you know, what, what does an Ohio state Penn state game in Beaver stadium with 2000 fans and support staff and, you know, however many media are allowed in the press box look like, um, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I've, I've been fascinated to see, you know, how, you know, the, the Alabama Georgia game is, is, isn't a great comparison because you did have, you know, a bit of a crowd in, in Tuscaloosa, but you've had these these big games with just a fraction of the atmosphere, and they've been interesting to watch. So I I think you know being at home is the, the comfort level is there. But you know how do both teams react to this kind of stage without that kind of buzz surrounding it? Yeah, unfortunately, we're going to get an answer to that sometime soon. Uh, but before then. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, as always, make sure you are following us on all of our various social media channels. Make sure you are reading and supporting the site. Uh, we have a new podcast. Uh, not a new podcast. Uh, sorry, I got a 
puppy yesterday, and I am very sleepy. We got a new bit of gear on the store. Uh, for those of you who recalled uh, Dion Butler's famous pregame pump-up speech before Penn State played Ohio State in 2008, Butler said, we are not normal. We are legends. We've decided to put that on a hoodie. Please go and purchase that one as someone who has the only other hoodie that we make. I promise you it is going to be your favorite hoodie from the second that you put it on. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where podcasts live. Uh, and if you go to Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. Uh, helps with algorithms and all those sorts of things. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.